to our latest Reach Next Generation podcast. I'm Grace Jeffries and I'm thinking about my future. To help me with this, I'm speaking with successful women to get an understanding of the challenges they faced throughout their careers, how they became them and what tips they for girls of my age. Today my guest is Catherine Fletcher, who is the MP for South Ribble. Catherine has had a distinguished career in the industry and now in politics. Thanks for joining me today, Catherine. Can we start by you telling us all how your career took you to the role you have today? Well, isn't that interesting? So um, I think for your listeners, what I might do is explain where South Ribble is. Because as a member of Parliament, sometimes you go up and you go, hello, I'm Catherine Fletcher and I'm the member of Parliament for South Ribble. And people get a slightly panicked look in their eye because they don't know where it is. So I have (laughs) unilaterally renamed the seat South Ribble, you know, the bit under Preston. And then everybody goes, oh, phew, right. OK, I know where that is. But that kind of speaks to why I'm here. So I was born and raised in Manchester and nothing to do with politics at all nothing my parents always voted and that's because that's really important but they didn't even really tell me how they voted so i did science at uni i did um i worked in industry i did it consultancy and change and it got to about 2013 2014 and i don't know whether you or your listeners grace will do this but sometimes you're watching stuff on the telly and you're you're kind of getting cross with it and the thing i was getting cross with was I was getting on a train on a Monday to go to work and I was coming back on a Thursday and I was starting to see, especially between the north of England, Scotland, North Wales and London and the South East, I was starting to see it look really different. You know, they had better train services, they had more vibrant, you could see more money was going into the economy. And I'm a proud northerner and I thought, do you know what, you need to stop shouting at the telly. And you need to put your head above the parapet and see if people think you've got something to offer because you're passionate about it. And then the rest of it is just mechanics. I basically wanted to make a difference. And I know everybody will say that, but you, you know, you only you only get so far when you shout at the telly from the sofa. Mm. So when you were at school, did you have any idea what you wanted to do or be? Or did that happen maybe later on in life? Did you perhaps have any subjects that you specifically um, enjoyed or anything like that? I've never, I never had a fixed view. Um, I was really lucky to go to Altrincham Girls Grammar School, which is um, a, a state school where you sit in 11 plus. And what happened was I was in a different part of Manchester and they let me sit the exam at 11 for one of six places for people outside. And I was just dead lucky and got one of them. And that education really changed my life. But what happened was I had a set of ideas about my home from my home and my community in Withenshaw, but it was already being challenged the day I walked in the door of my senior school because Altrincham's really nice part of the world. So that was very different. And that, what that taught me even from 11, you know, younger than you, is not necessarily to fix on a decision, but to have a range of options. So at one point, I wanted to be a vet. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always loved and adored science, um, especially biology, which is what I ended up doing. Uh, but my family, my my family, or my, I'm, I'm a kind of a niece, daughter, sibling, cousin to northern engineers that make stuff. So I thought maybe I wanted to be an engineer. And in the end, I have chosen to pursue what I found interesting, because I think if you're passionate about it, then actually that really comes out. So I actually find 
some of the stuff I've done in my career, I've actually taken less money and jobs that weren't as affluent, that weren't as well paid to do something that I was genuinely passionate and interested about. And it's ended up with quite a broad career and has prepared me, I hope, a, a decent way for Parliament. Definitely. So I know that you went to Nottingham University, um, but how important do you think it actually is to go to university? especially with all of the apprenticeship schemes and graduate schemes that you can find in lots of different companies nowadays. Yeah, it's interesting. So so neither of my parents have been to uni. I, you know, I'm the first person, uh, first person in my family to go. And it was almost seen as the thing I must do because of the sacrifices that were made to get me that fabulous education. Um, so I kind of went not really knowing anything about it. And you know, I think I made some mistakes, actually, in terms of what I did, where I went and what I chose to do. So I'm not completely convinced that if I had my time again, I would go for a straight academic degree. I loved the subject matter and I was really passionate about it. But in studying biology, I'm not in a biological field. But on the other hand, that biology is system thinking, and I used to do IT systems, computer systems, and that's systems thinking. So actually, it did help. But it was financially a challenge, and I used to work all the holidays to pay my... I used to basically get into debt and then work like full time and take extra shifts through the holidays and then go back to university on zero pounds again. And then, you know, go through the whole cycle. And I'm not completely convinced that had there been an option to do a technical subject, a science engineering subject, without having to go through that kind of debt cycle, whether I wouldn't have looked at it very hard. But I'm a hell of a lot older than you. And it really wasn't an option for me. So on balance, I, I think I loved it. But I would... I'd look hard again if I was thinking about it in, you know, 2022. Yeah. So the world is changing so much and also quite quickly. Um, what do you think work for women may look like in 10 years time or maybe what do you hope it may look like? Well, I think I, some, let's look back at what it was. So uh, the when I was um, kind of, your your age it was about 1990 and actually there was a lot of roles where women really just you know you didn't stand a cat and l's chance so don't do it and i observe how different that is today even with you know my cousin's kids my second cousins are in roles that i wouldn't have dreamed of touching because the sexism wasn't so much hidden as overt it wasn't a glass ceiling it was a great big black one with kind of women go away plastered all over it and what I absolutely love is 30 odd years later, that's not there for you guys. You guys have an opportunity to engage in fields and careers all over the show. And so if so, let's celebrate that that's changed. Let's protect that. Make sure we don't backslide. But in, in 10 years time, what I'd like to see, I think we're still more to do. I think we need more women in engineering. I think we need more women in science and tech. Um, you know, I was always the one or one of one or three, four in a room of a hundred. You know, we were never there was never loads of us. And I think we need more women in leadership positions because the people that lead companies, be that in any field, set a kind of cultural tone. And 
I don't know whether, Grace, you know about like the financial crash that happened in 2008. There was a big problem with culture in financial institutions. And there is quite a good idea that says had their, had their leadership teams been a bit more balanced and not all just been blokes, that actually they may well have had better conversations and made better di- or different decisions. So I think it's about saying the world's open to you and let's continue to get people further up the food chain in leadership positions that allow a culture change, which then becomes positive and carries on. And it is happening. It just needs yeah. to get on a bit further. I don't know. What do you think? Well, I agree with you. I think that definitely we have made progress. Um, but we do have a long way to go. And um, I try to look on the good side of most of these things. And at least we've got at least now some steady foundations for the work that we hope to partake in in the future. Exactly. I think positive and cheery. Nobody likes to work with a grump. Yeah, of course. Now, I will say at the moment, uh, COP27 is on most people's minds. And I know that you've worked closely with Alok Sharma during COP26 last year. Um, Alok Sharma, hero. He's a hero. (laughs) Definitely. Now, what were your standout moments and how optimistic are you that countries around the world are generally interested in climate change issues? Yeah, so so I was Alloc's parliamentary private secretary, which gets shortened to PPS. So it meant that I worked with him for a year in the run up to COP26 in Glasgow. And I was in Glasgow for the whole two weeks um, kind of helping him. I mean, you know, he did a wonderful job and he's a he's a good lad. Um, he, he did physics for those of us interested in STEM. Uh, in Salford. So he is one of the few people that when I got slightly overexcited in my Mancunian accent, he could understand every word I was saying, even though I was confusing some of the guys in London. Um, I think COP26 was actually a really big breakthrough. It's the first time when everybody has said across the, the, the almost everybody that's there has said, yes, we have a problem. And my dad always says to fix a problem, you have to acknowledge you've got it. So you wouldn't move past that. I think that we had um, a relatively small percentage of countries that were making commitments to reduce their carbon emissions. It's a, a very it's a I'll just give you the acronym. They're called NDCs. But we've now got most of the G20 with NDCs and you've got countries like the UK where we've actually got net zero by 2050 in law and other people are catching up. And what um, it's often we're a bit British and we say, oh, you know, we're, we're all right. You know, um, there are some time uh, there are some graphs. They were in the Times newspaper a couple of days ago, but any of your listeners can find them. So the G20 is the 20 biggest countries in the world. And there's a track of how their carbon emissions have reduced over the over the last period. And Britain is the best. We have done the best of yeah, all of yeah. those countries. And what we're doing is kind of showing how actually it helps with energy security. We're showing the technological investment and we're showing what can be done whilst we're still being growing our economy. And what and, and, and everyone's going to say, well, how? And that's in part because of what government's done. But it's actually I'm I'm aware everybody listening to your podcast, not everybody wants to be a politician. It's also about businesses. So when I was in Glasgow, when we're in the big sheds and big, they're almost like big fancy tents. 
there was loads of businesses there. And what after you spend a bit of time there and it's the same people on the stall every day, what's really clear is actually business is miles further ahead than quite a lot of governments and politicians in terms of understanding that change needs to be made because they can see that they will make money from it if they invest in it now because you know renewable energies fossil fuels are getting expensive we've all probably had our parents say put a sweater on turn the central heating down this winter you know it's getting really expensive because of what's happening in global events so renewables and nuclear makes a big massive difference to that definitely now, um, can you tell me a little bit about some of your day-to-day jobs or roles as the MP of South Ribble? Oh, so, um, so, so let's, shall I talk you through what my week looks like for anybody that wants to know? Sure. Uh, yeah, so so um, where I live is uh, just off the coast and it's about four hours door-to-door into London. So it, if I've got early meetings in London on a Monday, I go on a Sunday afternoon, evening, and I get on the train down or I go on a Monday morning, then typically the House of Commons is sitting. So and that means, you know, the green benches are full, the speakers in the chair. We're asking questions to departments about how they're getting on. So Department of Education, how are you doing, you know, making exams better or what are you doing to help people with childcare? And that, so that's then we have one of those every day and then we'll debate a new law or bill and then we'll vote on it. So uh, so we'll do that. And then in between all of this kind of lawmaking and holding the government to account, you know, asking departments questions, saying, you know, where are we on building more offshore wind, dear business and energy department or something like that? Um, you then are meeting people or meeting with your team because the people of South Ribble need stuff from us. They might want us to get a train station reopened that got shut in the 1960s and they really need it. Or they might want a piece of road to stop heavy goods vehicles, HGVs going past the school. Or they might have a problem with their landlord who is making them pay more money than they can afford. And so and it can just be anything. So you're working with a small team down in London to solve those problems whilst passing laws speaking to people like you, making a fuss. And then you'll get back on the train on probably a Thursday night and be back late on a Thursday night. And then today's like today and Friday's like today. You know, you're going and meeting people. So today I have uh, I've met with some uh, I don't know whether your listeners will have heard there's an avian flu thing. It's a, it's it which is you know it is coming from wild birds and it's it's a problem with people that are chicken farmers. So I've been to meet them and there was um, a man got a bit upset because he's had to all these birds have have got poorly and died and this is a big rough tough farmer and so you have to talk about how you're going to help him from the government but you've got a human being there that's a bit upset so I gave him a cuddle. Yeah, because sometimes actually you just need a bit of a cuddle when you're upset. Um, And then I've interviewed somebody. I've answered a load of casework. Tomorrow I'm going to do something similar, go and see visits and people. And then Sunday, because we're speaking, it's Remembrance. uh, It's the Armistice Day today, 11th of November. On Mm -hmm. Sunday, we will go and commemorate everybody that gave their lives to look after the UK, which will be very formal, you know, lay a poppy wreath 
and um, and make sure that then their sacrifice is never forgotten. And then Sunday afternoon, I'll be on the train back to London and we will kind of repeat. Did any of that, did that make sense? Any questions? No, that's the only thing I've got to say is it sounds very busy. <laughs> it is, this is not a job. This is a lifestyle. Yeah. You have to, and you know, when you asked me why did you get into it from the start, mm-hmm. uh, you know, when we finished here tonight, it's about, what, 20 past six now? So I'll do a bit more work and then I'll go home and I'll be tired when I wake up tomorrow. And you have to have that voice in your head that's saying, I really want to do this because. So that's why I was saying earlier on, you whatever you want to do, be passionate about it. But you but don't necessarily get stuck on a field because uh, a field of work, I mean, because you may really like kind of creative and performing arts. Well, is this creative and performing arts? I don't know. It's certainly communicating an idea to people. Plus, uh, uh, me and another couple of colleagues might take your brilliant plan and set up a podcast at some point. We're talking about it. Um, but that, that you know, would that work? I mean, I've got a biology degree, but, you know, it's all kind of interesting. So just be passionate about what you're doing and then you get out of bed early every morning. Definitely. Now, finally, to end off today, um, and this is a new question for all of our guests this series, and that is, if you could change perhaps one thing in the world right now, what do you think it would be? The world definitely seems quite hectic and crazy, some would say, um, right now. So try to think uh, about maybe one from uh, three, top three or top five. No, well, I've actually I've got one and it's the one I've had for ages and I don't think it's possible. But let me explain. So. Uh, as part of studying bio, I, if I had a magic wand, I would invent a way to change human culture. Okay. So, and that requires a bit of explanation. So, we are, it, I did a lot of human evolution in uh, my biology studies at university. And I think when you guys, when you, you, you and your listeners get there, you'll understand that us walking on two legs evolved in Africa. Yeah. And, and that actually we evolved in the African savannah. So one of the jobs I have had is I used to be a safari ranger and uh, go and take people on tours to go and see like lions and elephants and whatever, but in the environment where we evolved. And we've gone a long, long way in a very short, biologically short time from where we come from. And one of those things is culture. So wouldn't it be wonderful to have a magic wand to change the culture of the people that are advising Vladimir Putin and saying Ukraine is part of Russia? Yeah. Wouldn't it be wonderful to have a magic wand that changes the culture of people that are brought up perhaps in a racist environment because they seem to think that because somebody looks a bit different, there's something different about them? And and uh, or wouldn't it be wonderful to change the culture where people don't do something where actually I they could. So I grew up with a lot of um, kids who went, oh, don't listen to the teachers, don't go to school, don't, you know, they'll always get you in the end. I'm not even going to try. And actually, they were cleverer than me. There was I got straight A's at A level and they were cleverer than me. How do I, I would love to be able to change that culture, be it in ambition, in warmongering, in kind of social ills. Um, but I don't know whether that requires a magic wand and for me to actually become Hermione Granger before you can do it. Of course. 
Well, I think that's a great place to leave off on today's podcast. I really enjoyed chatting with you today, Catherine. Thank you so, so much. And I'm sure everyone listening will now be thinking about some of the choices that they're about to make in their own careers. Keep listening to the Reach Next Generation podcast as I talk to many more brilliant women. And more details about us and our upcoming summits are at reachnextgeneration.com. Thank you to our fantastic sponsors, Ideal Standard, Barclays, Levi Strauss, Aviva, Green King and Gerald Wen. And a special thank you to Chris Royer of AES Seal for his generous support too.